0: At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, "'For how long, O Lord?' And he answered, "'Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken.'" And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land.
1: Our second reading is from Mark chapter 4, and it can be found on page 814. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they, they fall quickly away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, "'Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and in whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear.' Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has, has will to be given more, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
2: It's great to be with you tonight. Please keep that passage open from Mark chapter 4. No doubt like many of you, I had time off over the Christmas New Year period and since it was in the form of a staycation, I needed a Netflix series for binge-watching TV now, the winner this summer was a reality TV show called Big Dreams in Small Spaces. Now, apart from the members of my household, has anyone ever heard of that? Yeah, probably. Oh, a couple. Yeah, right. If you've never heard of it, it's a totally vanilla gardening show <laughs> that features a fellow named Monty Don. The show consists of Monty Don striding through town and country from the city of London to little befuddlement or wherever, visiting the homes of the horticulturally hapless, or at least helpless, and bestowing upon them sagacious smiles, the sacred laws of tree and leaf, and a kind of condescension that can only be delivered with the most exquisite British manners. Think of Gandalf visiting the hobbits, only instead of a long beard and staff, Monty has a spade, and instead of fireworks at the end, there's an eruption of colour from the myriad of flowers in newly established beds. Now naturally, the show is completely formulaic. We meet the hobbits in their forlorn state of gardening disolitude and wildly unrealistic aspirations. Monty offers some acceptance and commitment therapy to produce a workable plan that will fulfil all their gardening dreams. The Hobbits set about their task with varying levels of assistance from the wizard in three visits. It ends with a big reveal, a glass of champagne and someone mentioning that Monty Don is Britain's number one gardener. Now, by way of stark contrast, our second Bible reading tonight features the OG of Gardening Stories, Jesus of Nazareth, calling us to listen to God's word so that our lives can be fruitful in his coming kingdom. More than drainage and plantage, the secret of fruitfulness in God's coming kingdom is to listen to Jesus and have his word grow in our hearts Now we're going to look uh, at those parables or stories that Jesus told tonight as we prepare ourselves for 2020. But before we get into that, uh, let me pray for us. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the peace and prosperity that we enjoy that enables us to gather in this place without fear of interruption or persecution Lord, I pray that for Jesus' sake, you would calm our hearts and open our ears, that we might hear your word and through it live fruitful lives. And we pray this for the sake of Jesus' glory. Amen. So previously in Mark's biography, Jesus has been gathering a crowd by a lake and teaching them. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Again. Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So three things to notice here about the context by the lake. If you lived in the inner west of Jerusalem, it's likely that you would have considered Galilee as Bougainville. Ideal territory for talkback radio or news corp media organs. It's the northern part of Israel where a largely peasant population lives with a chequered history of interaction and intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles. This is the where of the Jesus movement. This is the place where Jesus gets his movement off the ground, on the shores of the lake or Sea of Galilee. And on the shores of this lake, there's a large crowd. It's early days for the Jesus movement... But already this young prophet is speaking to a gathering throng. They're restless and unruly. We first met them in chapter 2 of Mark. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And again in chapter 3, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. The Jesus movement is fast developing into a heaving mob. Think about the shoppers on Boxing Day all carefully making their way into David Jones to get the one bargain that's there for them. There's a palpable and chaotic energy in them that goes way beyond even extinction realities and kids boycotting high school. By the lake, a large crowd gathers and Jesus is teaching them. From the beginning of this biography, Jesus has been teaching and lately, in story terms, he's taken to delivering aquatic TED Talks to avoid being crushed by the crowd. Jesus of Nazareth, however, is not some populist hoping to exploit the social and economic concerns of the marginalised. He's not looking to make Galilee great again even if there are many in the crowd longing for an opportunity to exit the Mediterranean Union, known as the Roman Empire. Now, the movement that Jesus of Nazareth is starting will be at once the opposite of everything the crowds expect in terms of earthly political systems, even though Jesus himself is a direct descendant from Israel's greatest king, David. At the same time, and because David was God's special choice of ruler, the kingdom of God, that is the goal of the Jesus movement, will become the one true means by which the creator God will bring order to life, the universe, and everything. So part of the paradox of fulfilment is through discontinuity, even while it's about uniformity. That's part of the secret of the Jesus movement, as Jesus said. And so we need to listen and pay attention to his teaching in order to understand why this secret is so important. So let's look. What's with the secret? What will this kingdom be like? Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. Jesus has already spoken to or taught the crowd in parables. We saw that in chapter 3. They're a relatively common pedagogic tool for the first century, a collection of allegories, analogies or aphorisms. At most, they're like a blog. At least they could be a tweet or possibly even a meme. The surface level of Jesus' teaching consists of images of agrarian life, seeds and soils, sowing and harvest, But a key thing for you to look out for throughout is a lot from a little. That's the key theme throughout these parables. Or as one commentator summarised it, things turn out well even when they're threatened to go wrong or are beyond control. Things will turn out well even where there's a threat that it won't be like that or that things will get out of control. So in the opening story, uh, verses 3 to 9, the farmer scatters seed across four different kinds of soil, on the path, on rocks, amongst thorns, and finally, the good soil. Now, it's not a rule of three story, but that's because Jesus isn't your average preacher. And while we have reason to consider the various kinds of soil and how they might be relevant to us when Jesus speaks with the disciples, in the first instance, we need to resist the temptation to treat the parable like a Facebook list of girls' names who will achieve their goals in 2020. <laughs> it's not like that. Instead, we should note that the seemingly small amount of seed that lands on the good soil, is only 25%, that small amount of seed produces an exponentially greater harvest. It's there in verse 8 came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. In the second story, that's verses 26 to 29, again the seed is sown, but the obstacle is not so much the quality of the soil as the fact that the farmer simply has to wait and see what will happen. It's there in verse 27 of chapter 4. Night and day... Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. Unlike us, the farmer knows where his food comes from. He just doesn't know how it works. And again, unlike us, he has no control over the processes involved. Nevertheless... A tiny seed produces a large, complicated organic life form much bigger than itself. A little produces a lot. Thirdly, the story in verse 30 to 32. A third time, seed is sown, and this time the story combines elements from both of the previous two. A small seed produces a large plant and a large harvest For the farmer, or there in verse 31, The mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. See, long before Monty Don showed us how to fulfil big dreams in small places, Jesus of Nazareth was teaching the crowds that from the smallest things, big things grow. Jesus of Nazareth taught in parables to explain to the gathering crowd that the movement that he had begun in the armpit of the Roman Empire with his small band of followers, while seemingly small and facing many hurdles, would nevertheless one day be the right and true globalised society and culture called the Kingdom of God. Now the connection between what Jesus is teaching... And our current experience is, I think, mixed. It's not hard for us to imagine a tiny group of people being in control of the vast amount of resources that our earth can produce. It's not hard for us to imagine a globalised and homogenised culture of consumption where some have far more than they need, though not enough to share, while the vast majority have basically nothing save mobile phone-sized images of what could be. It's not hard for us to imagine that teaching and education are the most important way for people to cross over from the have-nots and join us amongst the haves, at least, or at least to create the kind of society based on a culture of kindness that might stem the tide of this excessive consumption and exploitation of the earth's resources. It's not hard for us to imagine those things. And yet the reality of the kingdom of God on earth still seems like a secret, as Jesus described it. So what is the key to discovering the secret? Or why, for that matter, is there a secret at all? Well, now we need to look to verse 10 of chapter 4. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he explained to them their meaning. It's not exactly clear where Jesus and his disciples are when they were alone. It could be on the boat or the boats that were gathered. It might be somewhere else altogether. Wherever and whenever it was, as readers, we now get to join the inner circle, the inner crowd, and find out more about these parables. Another key thing to notice here, as Jesus unpacks the first parable, which serves as a model for all the others, a key thing to notice here is the relationship between listening and bearing fruit. The more you listen to the words of Jesus, the more likely you will be like the good soil. And there's two things at work here. There's a human factor and there's a divine factor. We'll look at the human factor first. As Jesus begins the first parable, he begins it with a, an obvious command. Listen. Verse 3. See it there? Listen. Look at my face. Listen. And he finishes it with, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 9. What distinguishes fruitful soil from unfruitful soil, according to Jesus, is the extent to which people submit to his command to listen. Verse 15. Some listen in a way that means they immediately forget what they have heard, like glancing at a notification on your phone, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, all right. Verse 16 and 17. Some hear and take the message to heart immediately, but not so as to strengthen their resolve against opposition. You know, you're scrolling through a tweet feed. Oh, like that one. Oh, no, not now until you read the next one. Oh, no, not again when you read the third one. In verses 18 to 20, some hear and take the message to heart until a more attractive alternative comes along, much like the kind of conversations we have at parties, I guess. (laughs) Oh, no, no, stop. That's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? It's only in verse 20 that we hear of the good soil. The good soil is those that listen completely and consistently such that the word affects head, heart and hands. Kind of like the way we share with a close friend. Fruitfulness is directly proportional to receptiveness, to attentiveness and dare I say it, to submissiveness. This is the human factor that makes up the obstacles to the spread of the Jesus movement, or the kingdom of God that's portrayed in the parables. But there also seems to be a divine factor at work. When the disciples first asked Jesus about the use of parables, his answer is startling, perhaps even a little troubling. Look there in verse 11 of chapter 4. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now I wouldn't be at all surprised if you're, that's not fair, hackles were raised while that verse was read out. A number of questions spring to mind here. Why wouldn't Jesus want the crowd to understand his teaching? And then why wouldn't God want people to turn to him and be forgiven? Well, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6 here that was read to us in the first reading. And Isaiah 6 is an account of the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah, who was given the unenviable uh, task of announcing Israel's exile from the promised land. For God to be faithful to his word, the people deserve to be punished for their persistent idolatry. There's always a price to be paid for sin. A fact I think our whole country is coming to terms with in the light of this bushfire season. Now, in Israel's time, God refused to have mercy on them even as he commissioned Isaiah to speak to them. And so he was sent to them to say, the jig's up. It's time for you to go into exile, as I said would happen. Now, back in Mark 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah in part to remind the disciples that the greatest obstacle to his movement and the coming of the kingdom of God is the hardness of heart towards God. Human beings actually don't want to hear what Jesus has to say and so are held accountable to him. Now of course that won't stop the coming of the kingdom because as we noted earlier all the sowing stories finish with a harvest that is much greater than the seed that was sown or as Jesus says look in verse 21. Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Don't you put it on a stand? Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't worry, says Jesus. The harvest will come and the kingdom of God will spread to all the earth. The time for speaking in parables will pass. Or as Isaiah also said in chapter 55, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Even if it's in the form of parables, the word of God will be spoken and the kingdom of God will come. And yet, there's a deeper mystery to the kingdom of God that will be revealed through Jesus. And the seeds of it are being sown here as Jesus teaches in parables. In fact, I don't know whether you noticed at the end of the Isaiah 6 reading, it finishes with, and a seed will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesus is that seed. His word is propagating that seed. The revelation of the secret of the kingdom is so shocking, though, that no one, not even the disciples, can understand it, even when Jesus speaks plainly about it. You see, this is what happens a few chapters uh, hence in chapter 8 of Mark. Let me read it to you. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and rebuked him. This is the ultimate secret of the kingdom that has to be guarded by parables, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The prophecy, this prophecy was fulfilled as the crowds shout for Jesus to be crucified. What starts with parables on the shores of Galilee finishes at Pilate's court. On the night before Easter, as the unruly crowds shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Jesus tells them stories in parables to ensure that the other secret will come to pass. The crowd haven't been left out. They're playing their part of hard-heartedness as God requires so that Jesus can die for them. Or as Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The deepest secret of the kingdom is that the crowds will play a key role in bringing about the death of their own long-anticipated king. But he will go to that death for them. So the kingdom will come, as surely as Jesus rose from the dead. And despite what it feels like here in the heart of progressive Sydney, Christianity is still the fastest-growing religion in the world. It's just that the majority of Christians in the world have brown faces and don't speak English. There are nearly twice as many Christians in China today as there are in the entire population of Australia. And in the last century, something like 500 million people have turned to Jesus as their Lord. The kingdom will come. And the right response to this, of course, is to heed the words of the Lord Jesus and pray that God's kingdom would be on earth what it is in heaven. We should, as Jesus commanded, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field so that more and more people can receive the word of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus deserves from us. And fruitfulness for the coming kingdom, as I said, is directly proportional to listening to Jesus. That fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, you won't be able to muster that by yourselves this year. It only comes from listening to Jesus so that his Spirit can do its work in you. These are the virtues which our actions can point to the coming kingdom of Jesus the Christ. But the Lord Jesus does not deserve our ignorance or indifference to what he has to say. So the Apostle Paul encouraged the church in Colossae, let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's what Jesus deserves, that not only does everybody hear about him, but that his message dwells in us richly. If your New Year's resolution has started to move from the concrete to the abstract, do whatever you can to ensure that 2020 is the year of listening to Jesus. That may well involve uh, joining a a Bible study group, making sure you hear at church so the Bible can be read, reading it yourself, having a friend to read it with. If Monty Don got one thing right... It's that if you fail to plan, you will plan to fail. And listening to Jesus is no different. And imagine how different your life would be if you listened to Him more regularly. People tell me that they experience a, a great disconnect between Sunday and Monday. I wonder if that's because the only time they listen to Jesus is when they're here. And as soon as Monday comes, they start listening to everything else. You know, if you give only 5% of your weekly time to listening to the Lord Jesus, that will still be nearly eight and a half hours. That's enough time to come to church, be part of a small group, and read the Bible a couple of times yourself or with someone else. Imagine what your life would be like if you could recall Proverbs like you could quote movies. Imagine what your life would be like if you got the poems of Scripture like you get memes. Imagine what your life would be like if there was a psalm as the soundtrack of your life, not just a Spotify playlist. Imagine what your life would be like if you listened to the voice of Jesus. Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them listen. And when they do, they will bear much fruit.